This past May, Shalene Woodley was interviewed about one of her recent movies, and Time Magazine asked her if she was a feminist. She answered no. When asked why, she said, because I love men. The online backlash was immediate. One novelist tweeted this, Dear young actresses, before you sound off on feminists and how you're not one, please figure out what feminism is. According to, New York, or according to Time magazine, one of the hottest topics in Hollywood is the F word. The New York Times followed with a piece entitled, Who's a Feminist Now? Revealing where the different celebrities fall on the topic. Beyonce, feminist. Carrie Underwood, not a feminist. Benedict Cumberbatch, feminist. Fox News recently ran a story entitled, No Princes Required. It was an article about some of the changes that Disney is making with their animated films. It said Disney is shifting its lens toward independent, independent female protagonists defined by broader criteria than how they relate to men. In other words, women will be the heroes and they won't need men, they won't need a man. Linda Wolverton, she wrote the film Maleficent and she explained it this way. She said the princesses that were created in the 1940s and 50s, they were the best of what a woman should be then. You're the good girl, you took abuse, and through it all, you sang and were nice. But we're not like that anymore. We kick butt now. End quote. I cleaned it up a little. He didn't say that. The article goes on to say that they expect to see the protagonists be independent, empowered young women that don't stand behind anyone. They lead on their own. Okay, feminism is alive and well in 2014. Now, why do we bring up the topic of feminism this morning? You may not have any, you may not identify with feminism at all. You may be one of the women that are running in the opposite direction. But the reality is that it has been shaping and influencing our ideas about women, womanhood, and the way we relate to them. Now the problem with that is, as the authors of the book tell us, that feminism is in polar opposition to what the Word of God has to say about womanhood and the way we relate to men. Feminism at its core, at its very core, is antithetical to the Gospel. Now we have been talking throughout this whole course that if we're to our, understand our womanhood, we must understand the Gospel. If we're to understand how to be godly women, we must un uh, understand it in light of the gospel. So if the principles of feminism are in opposition to the gospel, then, then we need to learn those, understand it, and remove them. We want to be applying the gospel to our lives, not feminism. All right, now, uh, we want to start out by pointing out some things that the book mentioned. There have been a few good things that have come from feminism. We vote, we can own property, Thank you to those first feminists. They helped bring that along. 
However, according to the book, there were a number of things that feminism has damaged along the way, a number of things that have been devalued over the years. And I want to give you those. I have a place on your paper. We're going to go through them quickly. There's four things that we want to understand. Number one, they devalued manhood. Okay? In the past, feminists blamed everything on men and a patriarchal society. Now, the younger, newer generation that's coming along, this is where they're parting ways because they, they don't want to do that. They don't like the idea of that. Um, but in the past, men were blamed for everything. Male domination was the cause of all of our problems. Now, we learned last week that men are not the problem. Sin is. And if we're to have a gospel view of this, we need to understand that. All right, number two, they devalued marriage. Right? Feminists were the ones that came along and said a man, a woman needs a man like a fish needs a bike. Okay? They fought for the passage of no divorce, no fault divorce laws. They, they encouraged independence. They encouraged freedom from, from men and they saw marriage as a deterrent to all those things. Okay, another, next thing they devalued, motherhood. They devalued motherhood. They argued that because a woman had to bear children, she was at a competitive disadvantage. All right. Um, they pushed to change laws that both protected wives and mothers and encouraged a man to provide for his family. They fought to eliminate the family wage. They fought to eliminate tax benefits for the single earner household. What happened is all those things worked together to push women out of the home, get them into the workplace. This is the course that they thought was best for women. So their intentions may have been very honorable, just uh, misguided. Okay, next, they devalued morality. Margaret Sanger, she's the mother of the birth control pill, she touted sexual liberation as the only method to find inner peace and security and beauty. She said, remove the constraints and prohibitions, and hear this, and most of the larger evils of life of society will perish. Now, in the past, women had been the virtuous gender. And now we were being encouraged to push off all the strings. All right, now I want you to take a look at the list. Because everything, every problem on this list are things that God values. These happen to be things that God uses to display the gospel. So we want to keep this list in mind as we um, work through our passage. If you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to Proverbs 7? Proverbs chapter 7. I can't think of a better passage to start with this morning. It was a part of your homework. All right, Proverbs chapter 7, we're going to start at verse 1. My son, keep my words and treasure up my commandments with you. Keep my commandments and live. Keep my teaching as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister, and call insight your intimate friend, to keep you from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words. All right, the passage is starting out, my son. This is a father teaching his son. All right, now I want you to keep your finger here and flip over very quickly to Proverbs 31. We're coming back to 7, but I want you to see something in Proverbs 31. Proverbs 31, verse 1, says the words of King Lemuel, an article that his, who? 
his mother taught him. All right, now jump down to verse 3. Verse 3 says, mother speaking, do not give your strength to women, your ways to those who destroy kings. All right, now skip down to verse 10. Same, same chapter. An excellent wife who can find. She is far more precious than jewels. All right, let's go back to chapter 7. We'll, we'll stay in 7 from here on in. I just wanted you to see some things. In chapter 7, we see the son is being taught by the father. Okay, in chapter 31, the son is hearing from his mother about an excellent wife and what to value in a woman. Okay, now what's the moral of the story? Teach your sons about women. Okay, teach your sons about women. They need instruction on this. They're not women. Okay? Now, we're going to see um, that there is going to be a biblical perspective on womanhood, and there is a worldly perspective on womanhood. And the woman, or the world, is teaching your children about the worldly perspective, very passionately, I might add. And so if your child or grandchild is going to understand biblical womanhood, you're going to have to meet it with equal enthusiasm and passion. Okay? Now... Let's, uh, let's continue. I want you to notice what the Father says about this instruction. He says, keep them as the apple of your eye, bind them on your finger, write them on your heart. Okay, now he's emphasizing how important these are. All right, now, then look at verse 2. He says, keep my commandment and live. All right, this, this is life and death teaching. Now, he's making sure that his son understands how serious it is. All right, now, what's the subject matter? All right, let's look at chapter 7. Verse 5, the topic is the forbidden woman, the adulteress with her smooth words. Okay, the subject is the wrong kind of woman. All right, now, um, our first few lessons, let's think back. I want to have some review. First few lessons we learned about our, our original design. We learned what our purpose was. We were created to be man's help meet. We were created to be helpers. We were created to be that coordinating gender that comes along and fits with man so that we can image the glory of God. Those are the first few lessons we had. Then we read about how sin enters the picture. And sin made a mess of things. And now our womanhood needs restored. Right? We are sinful women that need a savior. Okay, as sinful women, we need a savior to forgive our sin and restore our womanhood, which the gospel through the person and work of Jesus Christ provides. Now, we're going to talk more about this in the weeks ahead, in next week. But restored womanhood is only possible for the woman who has believed upon Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of her sins. Okay, that, we need to make sure we understand that. Now, having said that, now we want to begin to consider how do we apply the gospel to our daily lives? How do we apply the gospel to our womanhood? Well, this morning, we're going to look at this backwards. We're going to look at how not to do it. We're going to look at the opposite. Sometimes looking at the opposite of things is a very um, helpful way to study and learn. So taking a look at chapter 7, the passage is telling his son, I want you to stay away from this woman. Look down at verse 24. He says, and now, O sons, it's turning plural, Listen to me and be attentive to the words of my mouth. Let not your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths. 
For many a victim she has laid low, and all her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is the way to Sheol, going down to the chambers of death. All right, Father's life and death message is that the son should not go anywhere near this woman. Now, often when um, preachers will preach on this passage, they will use the woman as a metaphor for lust and, and immorality because the woman is so enticing and so destructive. Now, we're going to apply this passage a little differently. We want to see, when we're looking at this woman, that this is a woman that isn't helping men. Okay, remember, we were created to help men. Okay, we were created to be... Um, uh, now, we do that in a unique way with our husbands. We've talked about this. We have been created to help them image the glory of God. There's a unique way we do it with husbands. There is also a very general way that we do it with all men. Okay, this woman is not helping any of them. All right? Also, look at what the Father says in verse 2. He says, keep my commandments and live. Right? Remember what we said. We have been created to be life givers. We're the nurturers. We're to come alongside and bring life to a situation and help. Okay, this woman is not doing that. Look at what the passage says of her. It says, this is giving us a picture of a woman that's destroying men. Okay, her victims, it says, are walking to the chambers of death. She's deadly. This is a woman that is killing manhood. Now, what we're going to see as we read this, unfortunately, is that they are all things that the world is telling you to do as women. All right, let's read through this. I'm going to read through it quickly, and then we're going to tear into some of this. All right, picking up at verse 6. For at the window of my house I have looked out through my lattice, and I have seen among the simple, I have perceived among the youths, a young man lacking sense, passing along the street near her corner, taking the road to her house in the twilight, in the evening, at the time of night and darkness. And behold... The woman meets him dressed as a prostitute, wily of heart. She is loud and wayward. Her feet do not stay at home. Now in the street, now in the market, and at every corner she lies in wait. She seizes him and kisses him, and with bold face she says to him, I had to offer sacrifices, and today I have paid my vows. So now I have come out to meet you, to seek you eagerly, and I have found you. I have spread my couch with coverings, colored linens from Egyptian linen. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let us take our fill of love till morning. Let us delight ourselves with love. For my husband is not home. He has gone on a long journey. He took a bag of money with him. At full moon, he will come home. With much seductive speech, she persuades him. With her smooth talk, she compels him. All at once he follows her, as an ox goes to the slaughter or as a stag is caught fast, till an arrow pierces its liver as a bird rushes into a snare. He does not know that it will cost him his life. Okay. Now there's a lot in this passage, but we don't have time for all of that. So what I decided on is we're going to concentrate on the big things, the things that are most commonplace, most acceptable today. So right, let's start at verse 8. Verse 8 says she's passing along the street corner, her corner, taking the road to her house in the twilight, in the evening, at the time of darkness. All right, let's have some review here. Do you remember when we talked about the other week about paying attention to references of time? And we said we want to ask the question, when does this happen? 
Well, I want you to notice here that the scripture is giving us three phrases right in a row. It wants us to see this, okay? It's dark. It's the time of night and darkness. It's evening. Okay, now women didn't go out alone. The implication is she is somewhere she should not be. The implication is she is, she's in a compromising situation. She's doing something that is inappropriate for a woman. All right, now I want you to notice in verses 8 and 9, it says street corner, twilight, evening, at the time of night and darkness. All right, these are the words of a shady drug deal going down, okay? <laughs> this, is not, this is not the light of day when legitimate business takes place. It's secretive. It lacks accountability. She's not with a friend that would say, hey, we need to get out of here, okay? So what do we see in this woman? Number one, her life is filled with compromise, secrecy, and self-rule. We're going to see that all through this passage. This is a woman who is doing her own thing. All right, next verse, verse 10. And behold, the woman meets him dressed as a prostitute. All right, now she's dressed as a prostitute. Now, uh, we know she's married. We know that her husband seems to be a man of some means. He, he's gone off with a bag of money. She talks of owning extravagant things. The passage is not saying that she is a prostitute. It's saying she's dressing like one. Her appearance is sending a message because our appearance sends a message. Now, I want us to make a mental note of this because we're going to talk more about that next week. But let's figure out what her message is if we don't know yet. Let's jump down to verse 14. She says in verse 14, I had to offer sacrifices, and today I have paid my vows. All right, now she's bringing God into this. She's got some religion on the surface. Okay, now she's letting him know that she's made a sacrifice. Now, this was the kind of sacrifice where you would take a portion of meat and offer it to God, and then there was a portion of meat that you had to eat that day. It had to be eaten that day. So she's essentially inviting him to dinner. But there's nothing to feel guilty about because I have this food that has to be eaten. Okay? Now, next, verse 15. She says, so now I have come out to meet you, to seek you eagerly, and I have found you. All right, this is flattery. She's telling the man what he wants to hear. She's saying, oh, baby, you are just what I've been waiting for, you know. Okay, verse 16. She says, I have spread my couch with coverings, colored linens from Egyptian linen. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let us take our fill of love till morning. Let us delight ourselves with love. All right, now we definitely know what she's got on her mind and why she's dressed like a harlot. She is appealing to his imagination. She's putting ideas in his head. Okay, she's describing what her bedroom looks like. All right, and then she tells him, verse 19, for my husband is not at home. He has gone on a long journey. Okay, now she's assuring them that they won't get caught. There won't be any consequences, consequences to what they do. She may also be trying to make him feel like she's lonely and she really needs a man. All right, now I want you to go up to verse 10 because we're going to pull all this together. Verse 10 says she's dressed as a prostitute, wily of heart. That word Wiley means guarded, a guarded heart, a concealed heart. It's secretive. It means on the inside, she's plotting and scheming. Okay? Now, let's think about it for a minute. 
Think about what we talked about last week when we, when we talked about the consequences of the fall. We said that um, the woman, her desire would be for her husband, but he would rule, rule over her. Her desire would be to rule over or to dominate her husband, or in a broader sense, men. Now, uh, she's not as big and strong as he is, typically. So how is she going to do that? How is she going to rule over men? How is she going to dominate over men? How is she going to get a man to do what she wants him to do? How is she going to get her own way? She will be wily of heart. She's going to scheme and manipulate. So number two, she is wily of heart. She schemes and manipulates. All right, now Mary Cassian gives five different categories of the way that women manipulate. And I, I think they're worth going over this morning. We'll do it quickly. Again, there's a place on your worksheet for this. All right, first, number one is sexual manipulation. Okay, there's a reason that this is number one. Because it is the number one scheme women use. Now, remember several weeks ago, we talked about men and their original design. We said that God created them. He put a healthy dose of sex drive, testosterone in the man so that he would be equipped to multiply and fill the earth. Now, women have been taking advantage of that uh, ever since, well, since the fall. Okay, now, dressing seductively, flirting, using innuendo, they would all be examples of this. When you withhold sex from your husband to get what you want, or maybe you promise sex to get what you want, Okay, those would all be examples of sexual manipulation, all right? Um, and the world, by the way, is telling you this is your number one tool. All right, next, verbal manipulation. All right, we women are more verbal than our husbands, okay? Uh, and we can usually um, use our talking skills to get what we want. I learned this one at a very young age, newly married. I figured out, boy, I could talk my way into just about anything. Now, the Proverbs 7 woman, she was using the flattery. She was telling him what he wanted to hear. Okay, that's verbal manipulation. Now, there are some other things that would fall in this category. Nagging, criticizing, contradicting, belittling, any type of coaxing, verbal coaxing. That would fall in line with verbal manipulation. All right, next one, number three, emotional manipulation. We, again, are typically the more emotional gender, and we use that sometimes to manipulate men and get what we want. All right, when the proverb woman, seven woman, she's suggesting possibly that she's lonely and she needs a man, that could possibly be an example of her husband doing that, or her doing that, because um, her husband's gone. Okay, nowadays, we women, when we pour on the tears and we cry in order to get a reaction from our husbands, or maybe we sulk and pout or um, give our husbands the silent treatment. Okay, those would all be examples of emotional uh, manipulation. When we say things like this, well, if you really cared for this family, you wouldn't do that or you wouldn't make me do that. You know, that's emotional. Number four is spiritual. Okay, this is when you pull God into it. Like the Proverbs 7 woman did, she mentions her sacrifices and so forth. All right, this is when you pull God into it to get what you want. All right, you say things like, but I have really prayed about this, so I think you should do this. Or God is telling me you need to do this. All right, things, things where you're pulling God in to get what you want. All right, number five is circumstantial manipulation. All right, this is when women arrange their circumstances 
to get men to do what they want. Now, I would point out that women's magazines and internet sites are devoted to teaching women how to manipulate men. I decided to do a Google search, and I Googled how to get a man to do what you want. And there were over a billion, with a B, sites that came up. I also Googled how to get a man's attention. It also had a lot of results. But the most disturbing one was that it gave me an option to search how to get a guy's attention in grade school. Now, that one had me very curious, so I went to that site. I went and checked it out. And, and one of the first ones that popped up was a site that had uh, a little picture of two kids holding hands together in the back of a class while the teacher's back was turned. They looked about 11, and then the top of the title was 100 Cute Things to Say and Do Around Guys. And here's one of the suggestions. It said, forget your book one day and ask to share his. Scoot your chair up close and read along. Remember to thank him for covering you. You owe him one now. Wink. Okay? All right, now, that is an example of what? Circumstantial manipulation. Okay? Now, I want to give you a couple others that they read, that they had. All right, here was one. It said, wash your hair with your fave scented shampoo. Pull up your hair into a tight bun, then head to school. When your crush is close by, take the bun out and unwind your hair. Here's why. The scent and the sight of you tossing your locks will get his total attention. Okay, what kind of manipulation is that? Sexual, yes, and apparently we are to be starting that at a very young age. This was a girl's life magazine. Okay, next, here's another one. Catch your cutie on his way out the door and give him props for sharing his opinion. Something like, I never thought about it that way before, should do the trick. Okay, what kind of manipulation is that? Verbal, yeah, verbal. She's telling him what he wants to hear. Okay, all right, here's, an, here's the next one. This is the last one. <coughs> Text him, or right, this is, it's escalated now at this point. Text him, if I were with you right now, what would we be doing? It'll make him think about the two of you being together. Okay, yeah, it will. Okay, why don't you just text him that what your Egyptian linens look like and what your bedroom looks like? Okay, now, ladies, there were a hundred of these. Do you see why you need to teach your sons about women? Because you have people teaching their daughters to do this stuff. You also need to know what your daughters are reading. On the surface, this looked like a very harmless website. And, and, and most women would look at it and see it as harmless. They would not think anything of it. All right, now, verse, verse 11, let's move on. Okay, verse 11 says she is loud and wayward. All right, that word loud can mean loud, roar, boisterous, thunder. And the word wayward means stubborn, defiant, rebellious. All right, this is a woman, and she is loud, and she has attitude. Okay? 
When I taught this passage to the teenage girls, this was probably the one that got the most reaction because it had never occurred to them that being loud and boisterous was a negative thing. They certainly never saw it as something that could be potentially sinful. All right, now in the 1970s, Helen Reddy sang, I am woman, hear me roar. Katy Perry is still singing the same song. She sings, you're going to hear me roar. All right, typically when we're loud and we roar, it's seen as being powerful. It's seen as being empowering, and we're told to be that. We're to be empowered women. Now, we've said before, we're not to be wimpy women. We're to be strong women. Okay, but the answer is not to be loud and wayward. It's not to teach your daughters to be loud and wayward. The answer is we're called to be soft. All right, so number three is she is loud and wayward. All right, verse number 11. It says, her feet do not stay at home. Right now, remember, when the Bible is talking about feet or walking, that's typically talking about your lifestyle, what your life is like, okay? And we're being told her that her feet are not at home. She, she, her home is not a priority, all right? Now, we know she's married. We don't know about the children. But if she is married, then her priority was to be the nurturing and the keeping of her home. Now, am I suggesting... The passage is telling us that she's not. Now, am I suggesting that the woman cannot leave the home and have activities outside the home? Okay, no, no. no. Am, am I suggesting that she can't have a job or work outside the home? No. No, the Proverbs 31 woman, she has activities that take her away from the home, but this, the difference is they're always for the good of the family. They're always for the good of the husband. They're always for the good of the children, right? And this woman is the opposite of that. Okay, number four, her feet are not at home. She neglects her primary role as a woman. Betty Friedan, in 1963, in the book Feminist Mystique, wrote, the woman who adjusts as housewives who grow up wanting to be just a housewife are in as much danger as the millions who walk to their own death in the concentration camps. Then throughout the rest of the book, she would refer to the suburban housewife as a suburban home as comfortable concentration camps. Now, she would go on to um, regret. She would express regret in using that terminology. But it was unfortunately not before the book became very popular and was very famous. Now, um, another author said this, being a housewife makes women sick. Uh, Gloria Steinem said that housewives were parasites. Charlotte Perkins Gilman said that housewives have the aspirations of an affectionate guinea pig. Simone de Beauvoir, 1949, said, women's work within the home is not directly useful to society. It produces nothing. Okay, that's been the message of the culture. Now, you may find that, you may be repulsed to hear that. I, I'm very convinced that you're very devoted to your families. You want something different. But here's the test. What are you teaching your daughters? What are we teaching our daughters? Are we teaching them that keeping and nurturing a home is an honorable thing? Are you equipping them to be able to do, it, do that? Are you teaching your sons this about women? Or what are we teaching the young girls in our church? Now, um, 
I know that we have to consider that our, our daughters may grow up and have to support themselves. They may have to grow up and help support their families. I, I, we need to factor all of that in, yes, but they also need to be able to keep and nurture a home when they're older. So, okay, number th- verse 13, let's move on. Verse 13, it says, She seizes him and kisses him, and with bold face she says to him, All right, we're going to stop there. She seizes, she kisses, she says, she's doing the talking. Okay, this is a woman that's initiating. This is a woman that's being aggressive. This is role reversal, okay? He's the one, uh, remember, we said one of the primary roles of man, he was to lead, he was to take the initiative. He's the one that's to leave his mother and father and go out, okay? That's his role. This whole chapter 7 is very reminiscent of Genesis chapter 3. Because in this passage, the woman is doing the leading. The woman is taking charge, all right? The woman is doing the initiating and chasing, and the man is being passive. He's the one that's being responsive. He's the one that's uh, responding and receiving. All right, also we're told in this passage that she's being very bold, all right? Boldness is considered to be a very desirable quality these days. You're encouraged to be bold because it's seen as powerful, all right? You're told to speak your mind, you're told to say what you want, say what you want. You're told to take it and grab it and all those things. I've been getting a number of magazines in the mail. Don't order them, but they've been showing up at my door. And I, and I look at them, and they're page after page after page of, of being told that women need to step out and take what you want and take the lead and grab it and take charge and all of that. I've read of numerous accounts where people will write in and tell stories of how they've done that. And sometimes there'll be stories about women starting businesses on their own and things like that. But surprisingly, there are a lot of stories about women who say, oh, I saw a handsome man in the office, and I got up the nerve, and I decided to ask him out myself. And six weeks later, I proposed to that man, and we've been happily ever after. And, and I, I, was, I was regularly, I read that. When in, in that article with the hundred cute things for girls to say and do, do you realize that every suggestion was telling a young girl to be aggressive and to step out and be bold and to take it and to take charge? But we need to understand that in the context of Proverbs 7, being bold, being aggressive, being initiating, all of it is said in a negative context. Nothing, there's nothing positive about it for us in this passage. Now, when I taught this passage to the teenage girls, I did not do a very good job. I, 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 it ended up being very confusing for them because they thought that being bold, they thought that being aggressive was a good thing. They hear it from the world. The world applauds it. And then they come to church, and we tell them the same thing. We tell them that they need to be bold in their faith. We tell them that they need to be bold and aggressive in sharing the truth. So, so which is it? Is it good or bad? Well, in this passage, the woman is being bold with men. Okay, she's initiating that male and female relationship. She's taking charge. She's being sexually aggressive. Right? And then God's word tells us that it's very destructive. It is not the way of wisdom. It is not the way of the life giver. It, uh, we were not called to be the bold, aggressive gender. We were called to be the soft, responsive gender. Now, does that mean, now I, I'm not saying that that means that you can't have an original thought or that you have to sit around and wait for somebody to take you by the hand to do something. 
Right? That's not, that's not what's going on here. All right. What about boldness in our faith? Should we be bold about our convictions? Should we be bold about truth? Well, we're to be strong women. So yes, we're going to be bold, but we're going to do it as women. Okay, that's the key. Good, great examples are Abigail, Esther, incredibly bold women in the scriptures, but they did it as women. They didn't act like men in order to, to work out their boldness. Um, the reality is that a way a man expresses boldness may look very different than the way a woman acts and behaves boldly. And we'll talk more about that next week. The, the flip side of how to do things we'll talk about next week. All right, number five. Um, number five is she reverses her role with her bold, aggressive, and initiating behavior. Mary Cassian has a book on, that is just devoted to Proverbs 7. It's an excellent read. She takes it um, verse by verse And um, if you want to pursue that. For now, there's just one more thing I want us to see. Verse 26 says, For many a victim she has laid low, and her slain are a mighty throng. This is a woman that destroyed men. She destroyed manhood. She did not pursue the things that had to do with her original purpose and her original design. She, um, she pursued the opposite, and it had a destructive impact on the men in her life. It had the opposite effect of what we were created to do. Our last point is number six. Her, her, excuse me, her attitudes and behaviors attack and destroy manhood. Her attitudes and behaviors attack and destroy manhood. Um, let's pray. Let's close in prayer. Father God, we thank you for the examples in Scripture that you give us. We thank you that you, that you give examples of, of how not to do it, that you give us examples of women who did it well. We praise you for all of that. Father, we pray that you'll use them. We pray that as we meet and we study your word, you'll bring these things to mind and you'll use them to teach us and pierce our hearts so that we can be daily applying the gospel to our lives and the way we live. Father, we love you. We praise you for this time together. I pray that you would just uh, manifest yourself in these small groups right now. May, may your spirit lead and guide and allow each woman to just hear your voice and be encouraged. And we ask all these things in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.